Chapter 10 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith. Chapter 10 Aunt Polly. Aunt Polly came soon after New Year's. For days, Pollyanna had gone about so radiant with anticipation that it excited Mrs. McGill's curiosity. Is it just because your aunt is coming that you look so happy, or is it part of that wonderful game of yours? Pollyanna laughed. There isn't any need to play the glad game now, she asserted. Aunt Polly's coming is enough in itself. Is she going to make a long visit? Pollyanna hesitated. I'm not sure that it will be a visit. I rather think Aunt Polly will make her home with us after this. Oh! The monosyllable was noncommittal, but apparently Pollyanna did not notice. You see, I went to live with her when I was eleven years old. She was almost a mother to me. When we were married, we lived in a tiny apartment in New York. And, of course, Aunt Polly wouldn't have been happy there. But now we can make her comfortable, and as she is growing older all the time, it doesn't seem quite the thing for her to be living alone so far away from us all. And, of course, being Pollyanna, she'll enjoy the children so much. I suppose she's very fond of children. The question took Pollyanna by surprise. She gave a little start as if confronted with a possibility that had never before occurred to her. Why, I don't know that I should call Aunt Polly a lover of children in general, but my children, of course. Oh, of course, Mrs. McGill hastened to reassure her. She'll be fond of your children anyway. She'll probably be a great help to you. Pollyanna offered no opinion as to that. Aunt Polly has just sold the old homestead in Vermont. A friend of Mr. Pendleton's, my husband's adopted father, you know, wanted it for a summer home and paid her a splendid price for it. And so Aunt Polly is more independent than she has been for years. Aunt Polly arrived a few days later. She was as straight as when Pollyanna knew her first, and her dark hair was only slightly streaked with gray. But she had reached that period in life when most people find it difficult to accommodate themselves to new situations. And if the truth be told, adaptability had never been Aunt Polly's strong point. A woman of resolute will, for long years head of her household, she failed to realize that in Pollyanna's home she was no longer captain of the craft, but merely a passenger. Indeed, dearly as she loved Pollyanna, she was inclined to regard her as an irresponsible child who needed guidance, just as Junior and Judy did. Aunt Polly arrived one Saturday forenoon, and as they went down to a one o'clock luncheon, Jiggs, who understood the summons of the Chinese gong as well as any of them, dashed on ahead. He took up his position close to Pollyanna's chair. Aunt Polly, following a more leisurely pace, spied him and at once announced an ultimatum. Oh, this will never do. 
We can't have dogs in the dining room. Jiggs always comes to meals, lest there's company, Junior retorted, and he, too, had an air of delivering an ultimatum. You see, we don't feed him, Aunt Polly, Pollyanna explained hastily. He just sits and looks on and is as good as a dog can be. Really, he is. My dear Pollyanna, you certainly don't need to be told that a dining room is no place for a dog, especially at mealtime. Aunt Polly walked to the front door, puckered her lips in a whistle, which aroused Junior's scorn, and then, as Jiggs ignored this summons, addressed him in plain English. Come, sir, come along. Your room is better than your company. Jiggs sat like a graven statue of propriety, looking at her out of the corner of his eye, and, with a heavy heart, Pollyanna undertook to uphold Aunt Polly's authority. I'm afraid he doesn't understand, she said sadly. Come, Jiggs. Jiggs understood only too well. As he followed his mistress to the door, he cast a malevolent glance at Aunt Polly. Already she had made an enemy in the household. He looks like a bad-tempered dog, said Aunt Polly, closing the door. You'd better keep an eye on him, Pollyanna, and if he shows signs of becoming vicious, you must get rid of him at once. And Pollyanna was thankful that Junior, engaged in a discussion with Inez Richards, did not hear. Since it was Saturday, Inez had arrived soon after breakfast and, as usual, remained for luncheon. As they seated themselves, Aunt Polly scrutinized her appraisingly. Who is this little girl, Pollyanna? This is the little daughter of one of my neighbors, Aunt Polly. Her name is Inez Richards. My mother works, chirped Inez, attacking her luncheon with relish. Hmm, mused Aunt Polly, and then addressing her niece, I hope you're not allowing yourself to be imposed on, Pollyanna. Aunt Polly was evidently not favorably impressed. Pollyanna blushed to the roots of her hair. Of course it was true that she was being imposed on, but she could not discuss the matter before Inez. Luckily, Jiggs created a diversion. Ejected from the front door, he had presented himself at the back of the house, giving one or two of his sharp, peremptory barks, which the dullest could translate to mean, here I am. Open the door and be quick about it. Nancy, knowing nothing of the new edict, answered his summons as promptly as if he had rung the doorbell, wiped off his feet, and admitted him again to the dining room. As Jiggs bolted in, grinning ecstatically over getting the better of Aunt Polly, the children roared a welcome. Pollyanna looked across the table appealingly as if she hoped to see signs of relenting in Aunt Polly's countenance. And reading there something very different, she rose meekly and led the way to the kitchen. Nancy, please put Jiggs out of doors and don't let him in again until we have finished luncheon. She knew it was cowardly to turn the responsibility over to Nancy, but she could not find it in her heart to eject Jiggs the second time. Already his triumphant ears had lost their perkiness. His tail drooped dejectedly, and she realized that Nancy's submissive, all right, Miss Pollyanna, showed only too complete an understanding. That first day was typical. 
Aunt Polly, full of energy, accustomed all her life to dictate, gradually assumed the duties of the head of the house. That soup was altogether too fresh, Nancy, she would remark as Nancy removed the soup plates at dinner. Salt added at the table isn't the same thing at all, you know. If Pollyanna had a suggestion to offer, she thought of giving it before an audience. Nancy's cheeks flushed for all her silent acceptance of the reproof, and in the kitchen she set the soup plates down with quite unnecessary violence. In the case of the children, too, Aunt Polly was continually interfering. As she had never had children of her own, she naturally looked upon herself as an authority on the subject of child training. Sometimes she criticized Pollyanna for being too severe, but more often found fault with her for being too lenient. And then she made no secret of her conviction that one way or the other, Pollyanna was always wrong. Poor Pollyanna would not have minded this so much if her aunt had confined herself to criticism. It was when she began to assume control of the children that the real trouble began. Even Judy resented her assumption of authority, especially as Aunt Polly forbade many things to which Pollyanna herself would never have thought of objecting. As for Junior, he showed his resentment so openly as to lead Aunt Polly to say, I'm afraid you're spoiling that boy of yours, Pollyanna. He needs a firmer hand. With growing uneasiness, Jimmy realized the changed atmosphere of his house. He had been glad when Aunt Polly came, because this was what Pollyanna wanted, and he meant that she should have everything she wanted, as far as it was possible for him to give it to her. And now, for the first time in his married life, he found himself wrestling with a perplexity he could not confide to his wife. I've always thought the mother-in-law joke a disgrace to a civilized sense of humor, he said to John Pendleton one day as he lunched with his foster father at the latter's club. But I find it's beginning to appeal to me. Mr. Pendleton shook his head over his oysters. Oh, come, he remonstrated. Polly Chilton is a fine woman, one of the finest, he smiled good-naturedly. I don't doubt that. In fact, that's the reason I've been willing to overlook a good deal. You know Mrs. Chilton has had it in for me since I was a small boy. Of course, I've told you of the time Pollyanna brought me to her, thinking she'd take me in, as she had some homeless cats and dogs, and she called me a little beggar. Nonsense, Jimmy. You don't mean you're going to lay that up against her after all these years. Then, when I wanted to marry Pollyanna, Jimmy continued stubbornly, she did her best to queer the whole thing. It was all right as far as Pollyanna was concerned, but Mrs. Chilton insisted her niece wouldn't marry a man who knew nothing about his family. But we fixed that up at last, you remember. Well, rather, said John Pendleton, and drew a deep breath. Jimmy's terse statement of facts had evoked many memories. He recalled his indignation when his adopted son had come to him with the news that Mrs. Chilton did not consider a man who did not know his rightful name an eligible suitor for her niece, no matter what his personal qualifications might be. And then he had discovered the papers which proved that Jimmy, and not Jamie, was the nephew of Mrs. Carew, 
with the blue Weatherby blood in his veins. Mr. Pendleton interrupted his lunch to turn and lay his hand almost caressingly on Jimmy's shoulder. Jimmy looked at him perplexed. What is it, sir? Oh, nothing, nothing, muttered Mr. Pendleton and returned hastily to his meal. He realized that he had almost betrayed himself. The pride and affection which had thrilled him years before when Jimmy had refused to take advantage of the great discovery, except so far as to remove Mrs. Chilton's prejudice, had come over him so irresistibly that he had almost been led to an exhibition of sentiment, a weakness against which the average American is always on his guard. But as he attacked his plate with misleading hardiness, Mr. Pendleton was thinking, gave up his rights so that Jamie might go on believing himself the lost boy. They don't make him any finer than Jim. I'm ready, continued Jim insistently, as if he realized that his listener's attention was straying from his recital, to forgive what's past and done with, even though I think she never gave me a fair deal. But I'll be hanged if I can forgive her for what she's doing now. What is she doing now? Setting everybody by the ears, cried Jimmy from the depth of his sore heart. Even Jiggs detests her, so that when she comes into a room where he is, he simply rises and moves as far from her as he can. She's making Junior sulky and Judy pert. Even our Pollyanna isn't herself. Oh, come, said Mr. Pendleton again. You exaggerate. His confidence that Pollyanna could never be anything but her sunny self made Jimmy smile, serious as his mood was. What I mean, he explained, is that this is getting on Pollyanna's nerves. Mrs. Chilton treats her as if she were a child, and she's been there only three weeks. What will it be like after she's stayed years? Mr. Pendleton made no attempt to answer that question. He contented himself with giving Jimmy considerable good advice to keep himself well in hand, not to exaggerate trifles, and to remember that, after all, his wife owed a great deal to her Aunt Polly. Luncheon over, Jimmy went back to his work with a sense of relief which comes from confiding one's troubles to a sympathetic listener, while John Pendleton was conscious of a distinct feeling of uneasiness. He told his wife that it was a shame that when the young folks were doing so well, Polly Chilton had come along and spilled the beans. And then, without warning, something happened which, in his most apprehensive moments, Jimmy would not have believed possible. He and Pollyanna quarreled. It was not a mere misunderstanding, not a clash of opinions, not one of those ripples on the surface of domestic tranquility that are inevitable in the best-regulated families, but an actual quarrel, standing out unique in their experience. It was Jiggs who was indirectly responsible for this catastrophe, for when the family came into the living room after dinner, Jiggs was occupying the chair Aunt Polly preferred. She went over to him briskly, and Jiggs, opening one eye, looked up at her like a little gnome. Get down, sir, she said sharply, and then, addressing Pollyanna, this dog mustn't be allowed to lie on the upholstered chairs. He'll ruin them. 
Pollyanna did not reply, and Jiggs did not move. He merely regarded Aunt Polly from the only optic on duty, as if waiting to see what she would do next. You're a very naughty dog, pronounced Aunt Polly, and took him by the collar with the intention of removing him forcefully from the coveted chair. But as she touched him, Jiggs changed mysteriously. The hair on his neck bristled under her hand. He uttered a low, warning growl. Aunt Polly started back in real consternation. He's growling. I always said that dog looked ill-natured. He's positively dangerous. Jimmy rose, jerked Jiggs from his chair, and gave him the hardest whipping of his life, which Jiggs, puppy as he was, endured without a whimper. Then his master carried him to the cellar door and shut it upon him with the finality which Jiggs understood to mean he was banished for the night. Junior understood it too, his chest swelling. He stood looking at Aunt Polly. You made him do it, he burst out. You keep picking on him. Junior, his mother cried aghast. Well, she does, mother. She's always fussing at poor Jiggs. It's all her fault. Junior, tell Aunt Polly you're sorry and go upstairs to bed. Junior faced his great aunt, a somber fire in his eyes. I'm sorry, he muttered, and then, as if his seething emotions had triumphed over motives of policy, he added, that you pick on Jiggs so. Junior, I'm sorry, he said quickly. Apparently, he meant to stop there, but again, resentment swept him on. That you acted so mean I had to say it. Go to bed directly, Junior, and unless you apologize to Aunt Polly properly, don't expect Mother to kiss you goodnight. Junior went upstairs, roaring lustily. If he were my child, said Aunt Polly, seating herself in the chair Jiggs had vacated and taking up the evening paper, I shouldn't allow him to make such a noise. It's only half an hour before his bedtime anyway. The evening was a rather silent one. Jimmy had brought home a book on engineering, and he read absorbedly, never saying a word. Pollyanna had her usual pile of mending, but she was not in a talkative mood. Junior had failed to express any contrition for his rudeness to Aunt Polly, and he cried himself to sleep without his mother's goodnight kiss. Pollyanna knew that Jiggs lay on the topmost of the cellar stairs, his nose to the crack of the door. Such liveliness as the evening possessed was due to Aunt Polly's dropping into the silence an occasional comment called out by some newspaper item. Trouble brewing in the Balkans, she read. I should think those Balkan states would be like the Kilkenny cats and there wouldn't be any of them left to fight. And then, after a little, skirts to be shorter. Anybody who tried to keep up with the styles would have a busy time lengthening and shortening again. Pollyanna generally murmured some response to the observations, but as a matter of fact, she never felt less inclined to conversation in her life. Aunt Polly went upstairs about ten o'clock, wishing them a cheerful good night, and hardly had the door of her room closed behind her when Jimmy threw his book on the table. At once, Pollyanna knew that he had not been reading at all and had sat there turning the pages, waiting for Aunt Polly to go. 
The sound of his voice corroborated her intuition. Pollyanna, he said sternly, I think you were very unjust to Junior. Unjust? She stared at him blankly. Somehow his face seemed a mask that hid the real Jimmy from her. Then you didn't hear what he said to Aunt Polly. Yes, I heard him, and he was perfectly right. She picks on the dog, and she's spoiling him. She picks on the boy, and she's spoiling him, too. Of all conflicts that take place in the human soul, the conflict of loyalties is the most distressing. Pollyanna, loving her husband, loving her boy, loving Aunt Polly, felt the strain of her clashing sympathies, but she did not yield an inch. Junior deserved a severer punishment than I gave him, she persisted. He was dreadfully impertinent. He told the truth. No wonder children get confused when they are punished for lying and then punished quite as severely for truth-telling. The bitterness of Jimmy's tone astonished Pollyanna. She did not realize, nor did he, that he was championing not only Junior's case, but that of another boy whose pride had winced long before under the lash of Aunt Polly's tongue. Perplexed and hurt, Pollyanna nevertheless stood her ground. Junior must learn that he can't be rude to older people whenever he does not approve of what they do or say. And above all, he must not be rude to Aunt Polly, to whom I owe everything. I should have thought you owed something to your husband and children. I owe it to my son to make a gentleman of him if I can. It won't be my fault if I fail. The eyes of both were flashing. Up to this crisis in their married life, either because of good luck or good sense, they had avoided being angry at the same time. If Pollyanna was unreasonable, Jimmy had kept his poise and soon laughed her out of it. If Jimmy was cross, Pollyanna had soon coaxed him into a more amiable frame of mind. But now they had both lost their heads. Both were angry and ready for the absurdities that anger induces. I suppose, said Jimmy, white to the lips, you mean that my unfortunate example is likely to interfere with your success in making your son a gentleman. If Pollyanna had laughed, all might have been well, but instead she threw him a glance of angry contempt, which to his unnatural sensitiveness seemed to confirm the accusation. Jimmy started up. I can't stand this, he cried. He went to the closet found his hat and overcoat, and with the latter on his arm, marched from the house. Pollyanna sat without moving. An unworthy pride sealed her lips. She was not going to call him back. This was all his fault. He had forced this quarrel on her because she had punished Junior for a rudeness for which he himself would ordinarily have inflicted a far severer penalty. As the door slammed shut, she got to her feet stared dully out into the night, and then sat down again, her hand against her heart. Her husband had left her in anger. The foundations of the world seemed shaken. After a little, as her nerves steadied, she saw the truth quite clearly. Both she and Jimmy had been under a strain for the last month. She loved Aunt Polly, but she faced the fact that she had made life very hard. Jimmy had said that Aunt Polly was spoiling Jiggs and spoiling Junior. 
She had resented his words, but now she admitted that he was right. Their mistake had been in not recognizing the problem as a mutual one and joining forces to find the best solution. Pollyanna picked up her needle and went on with her darning. She would sit there till he returned and tell him she was sorry before he had a chance to speak. Her pride was swept away by an onrushing current of tenderness and contrition. It did not matter that Jimmy, too, had been at fault. Love does not keep a ledger, balancing accounts at the end of each twenty-four hours. At eleven o'clock, Pollyanna stopped work and put away her mending. He would be back very soon. She strained her ears, and her nerves played her false, counterfeiting the sound of footsteps when no one was passing. Occasionally, a pedestrian went by, and each time Pollyanna sprang to her feet and ran to the door to let Jimmy in, and each time the footsteps went on, and she stood looking out into the darkness, white-lipped and with tragic eyes. At twelve o'clock, she took a book and tried to read, her common sense doing battle with crowding, intangible fears. She must be sensible, self-controlled, or she would be ill the next day. Of course he would come very soon. But suppose he did not? As her growing terror shrieked the question, her heart seemed to stop aghast and then to leap ahead. How could she live if he did not come? It was a little after one when footsteps came up the walk, but Pollyanne did not run to open the door. She sat motionless, not stirring, even when Jimmy stood over her. But looking down into her colorless face, he somehow realized what had happened. Pollyanna! He went down on his knees and flung his arms about her. I'm all kinds of a brute, but not so much of one as you think. I haven't been out sulking all this time. Let me tell you what happened. She dropped her head against his shoulder with a long, quivering sigh, and he tightened his clasp, hurrying on with his story. There was an automobile accident up at the north end of town. I ran into it half an hour after I left you. The car was overturned, and I worked with the others, getting the poor chap out. And then he wanted me to go for his wife and bring her to the hospital. I'm afraid he's pretty badly hurt. I tell you, darling, that sort of thing teaches a fellow to kick himself for making mountains out of molehills. She lay so limp against his heart that he could not be sure she was hearing him. He explained humbly, I tried to find a chance to telephone you. I hoped you were in bed and asleep. A little shivering ghost of a laugh was Pollyanna's answer to that. A bed and asleep. And as if he had begun to understand at last, he crushed her to him. Forgive me, dearest. I don't deserve it, but forgive me anyway. Well, I'm glad it happened, sobbed Pollyanna after a protracted interval, for it's so, so too terrible that we must never let it happen again. Jimmy agreed with her conclusion, but not with her premise. He was as determined as she that it must never happen again, but he could not be glad that it had happened even once. In his heart, he knew that he could not forgive himself for what Pollyanna had suffered in those hours of waiting, and he was very much afraid that, however hard he tried, he could never forgive Aunt Polly. End of 
Chapter 10.